Thank you, Ruth. I appreciate that very much about the, the name of Jesus and how that is so precious. Amen? Each one of us should, uh, should know Him in a deep and intimate way. This morning, I want, to, uh, uh, want you to probably uh, uh, make sure your shoes are all stuffed uh, up so I'm going to step on top of them as I, I talk, uh, talk about... Uh, God's plan for marriage. And look at some verses of Scripture you've probably never read uh, in a Scripture uh, or verse uh, text for a sermon before. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, the first five verses there, and then talk to you about this very essential, essential uh, subject. God's plan for marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses will be on the screen, or unless you want to open up your own Bible or open up your app and follow along. But uh, Paul writes to the believers in Corinth these words. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body that yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We give you praise for, for indeed Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And you are just the same as your lovely name. Father, we, we love you. We ask... Uh, for your blessing, and we give you praise for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you remember a few years ago some of the billboards that you uh, saw around or t-shirts or, or things that might have been going across the internet, uh, but uh, simple messages from God uh, that were up there. And uh, One reads, uh, Will the road you're on get you to my place. Is that the one up there? Okay. And then uh, the one that was sure to grab attention uh, was, uh, was one that said, uh, love the wedding, uh, invite me to the marriage. Uh, signed, God. And this morning I want to talk about inviting God into your marriage. 
And uh, it's important that you purposely, purposely invite God into your marriage relationship. And as we draw close to the, uh, to the Resurrection Sunday, now this is and could be a, a good Lenten message because of the fact that he rose from the tomb to begin that new relationship with us and that we are new cre creatures in Christ. And that's only because of the empty tomb. But inviting God into our marriage relationship does make a difference. <laughs> and so, because you're either cooperating with God's plan for marriage or you're fighting against it. And it's important for you to find God's plan. And finding God's plan allows you to enjoy your marriage and fighting it leads to an unfulfilling relationship. So how do you find it? How do you find God's plan for your marriage? Well, it comes really by understanding God's purpose for your marriage. And first of all, to, to understand God's plan for marriage, we must understand that it's a place where we learn about commitment. And in a marriage relationship is where we, we model commitment uh, to our spouse and to our, our, our children, to our, our family, and to everyone else as well. Because in this world that we live in today, we find so little commitment that people make in anything, let alone a marriage relationship. And the number of unmarried couples living together has increased from 523,000 in the 1970 census to 7.5 million in the 2012 census. And several studies recently done in this field have found that with couples who live together, women who live with a man before marriage are twice as likely to experience domestic violence. And you would, you would think that this wouldn't be the case. Well, it's, it's the value that you're placing on this. Well, we're going to see if it works. Wow. What a gamble. Because if it doesn't work, it's going to crash. And we just pray that it doesn't crash on, on the two people involved in a violent sort of way. So you're opening yourself up to something like that. And a National Center for, for Mental Health uh, revealed that women who live with men they are not married to experience depression four times more than married women and two times greater than single women. So studies are not showing that this is a good thing. And there's, there's, there's far more infidelity by both partners involved in an unmarried situation, especially because there's a lack of commitment in that setting. It's more or less an experiment that you're, that you're conducting. And when the Bible tells us that, that the marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, 
For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Who do we think that we're not above judgment in this, in this certain case? Throughout scriptures, God's relationship to his people is talked about in terms of a marriage relationship. And uh, commitment, love, and passion are the elements of our relationship with God that parallel His design for marriage. And our marriages are to mirror our relationship with God. And the greatest thing that we experience from God is His commitment to us. We just sang the chorus. And He's just the same as His lovely name. And that's the reason why I love him so. Right? His commitment to us is great. You see, even in the Old Testament, we, you probably remember the Old Testament book of, of Hosea. And uh, uh, the prophet Hosea was told by God to marry a prostitute who was continually unfaithful to him. Though she was married to him, her children were not his children. And time after time, Hosea would go out and he would bring his wife home from all of her sexually immoral activities. And finally, by the end, he had to buy her back from, from, a, uh, from a sexual slave trade after her lover got tired of her and sold her. And God was showing and using Hosea and and his wife here, this prostitute, as an example to show his commitment to his people and what his people were doing to him. That Hosea would be God and the immoral wife would be the church. Because we are the bride of Christ. And our faithfulness and our commitment to him is very important and very essential. God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the kind of commitment that, from God that indelibly marks our relationship with him. We count on that, right? We should also be that way toward our husband or our wife, whatever that case may be. In our culture today, we allow our emotions to rule us. We talk about falling in love or falling out of love as though it were something beyond our control. I just couldn't help it. I fell out of love. Just couldn't help it. I fell in love. Right? But God is saying that his commitment to us went beyond how he felt about his people. He was, he loved, but he was disappointed. He loved and kept calling them back, but, but, uh, but there he was, that, that, that shamed lover of a people that didn't love him back. I know that many people, uh, many people wrestle with whether or not to stay in their marriage based on how they feel on any particular day. But real love is impossible without commitment. Right? 
you guys are very quiet this morning. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, this is why a public service of commitment in marriage is so important. When we have the, the marriage ceremony, we're saying to the world, we're saying to the world that we are committing ourselves to this other person for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death us do part. We're, we're, we're committing. This is a, commit, a covenant, a commitment. And commitment is not something that comes after we fall in love with someone. Rather, it's love that comes from commitment. We need to get that straight. You cannot have love without commitment. You're, you're, you're fooling yourself. In other words, we're not committed to someone because we love them. We love them because we're committed to them. Right? That makes a big difference. It makes a big difference in how we, how we think. Love comes from commitment. Okay, get off that point, Pastor. So we'll go to number two. It's a place where we learn about forgiveness and grace. In a marriage relationship, we learn about forgiveness and grace, right? I once read a story about an older woman who was celebrating her golden wedding anniversary, and someone asked her what her secret was to a long and happy marriage. And she said, on my wedding day, I decided to make a list of ten of my husband's faults, which for the sake of our marriage, I would overlook. And one of the relatives jokingly asked her, well, what are some of those ten faults? And she said, well, to tell you the truth, I never got around to listing them. But whenever my husband did something that made me hopping mad, I would say to myself, lucky for him, that's one of the ten. <clears throat> you see, lucky for you, God has forgiven you. Amen? And as you think of, of how, many, how many times God has forgiven you, it should make forgiveness in your marriage easier. Easier to do. Now you may feel that your husband or wife does not deserve to be forgiven. Oh man, what a bum. I don't, I'm, when I say something like that, I don't want to look out there. You're going to think, well, he's talking about me because he looked at me. I don't know. But the question comes up, have you ever wounded the heart of God? Have you ever done something or, or said something that, that wounded God? See, we can be just as guilty because we're the bride of Christ. Right? And that's what, that's what forgiveness is all about. It's a model to the world of God's relationship to us. We forgive each other of our injustices and our hurts. And we extend grace to each other for the petty grievances and annoying mannerisms. Right? Somebody, you'll always find something, oh, that really bugs me when they do that. You know, he's snores. You know. Or they just do this, this this annoying thing with their finger on the on the desk of the pulpit. I wish they wouldn't do that, you know. 
That, that annoys me. So we, we overlook faults. Uh, one writer wrote, the essence of genius is to know what to overlook. We have to pick and choose. The essence of genius is to know what to overlook. I know I should have put that up there, but sorry about that. Now, I want to get this straight. This does not mean that you bury your anger and frustration and just push it down inside. Because one of those days, you're just going to boil over. You're going to have so much. And take it, take it, you know, you just boil over if you just... And it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that what the other person has done doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that. It does mean that you ask God to replace those feelings of hurt and anger with forgiveness, grace, and love. And this is not just toughing it out. I'm not talking about just toughing it out. It means asking God to change your heart. And you're still aware of the wrong that was done or said. And you're not minimizing what was done or said. And you're not saying that what they did or what they said was okay. You're saying, what you did wounded me, but I choose to forgive you. I choose to be like God in granting forgiveness and extending grace. I remember what happened, but I choose to let it go. I will no longer use it as a weapon to beat you over the head with. And as we do that, we begin to model the character of God. And as we grow as Christians in our, in our walk of sanctification and separating ourselves entirely to God, this is one of those things where a, a big thing is marriage, a marriage relationship, or our relationship with other people. We have to learn, we have to learn about forgiveness. I'll never forget sitting in a Sunday school class years ago. I was teaching over here in, in the fellowship hall. What is what are you what's your definition of forgiveness? Six people around a table, six different viewpoints. I'm thinking, wow, I need to preach on this more often. <laughs> and 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 each one of those six different viewpoints had with it the essence of I stick it in that and I use that as a weapon later. Somewhere along those lines. No, no, no. We throw that weapon away. Now, how many here today would say this prayer, Oh God, show me how to love my husband or my wife, increase my love for him or her, help me to see her as you see her, show me how I can meet his needs, even if my needs are not being entirely met. Help me to love her as you love her, Lord, please love my spouse through me. That should be our prayer. Because you're not going to get your way every day. That's not going to happen. Amen? Maybe some of you do get your way every day. <laughs> but that's an unusual case because that's not going to happen. Okay, point number three. Marriage is a place where we learn how to give honor. We learn how to give honor. In the wedding ceremony, I turn to the groom and say to him, Will you, oops, will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health and forsaking all others? Keep yourself only to her as long as you both shall live. 
And then I look at the bride, I, I ask the same question. <clears throat> We've all promised to love each other. But what does that mean? What does that mean? I don't want that to mean different things to different people. And really, uh, premarital counseling is one of the ways that the pastor uncovers what do you mean by love? What does that mean to you? And the big three, commitment, finances, and worship. Where does God play? Those three things is the main big three in premarital counseling. Now, what does love mean? What does love mean? And it'll, it should mean that there, we are promising that there will be no abuse, physical or verbal. There will be no neglect. There will be no put-downs. We will honor each other. We will value each other. We will respect each other. We will build up and not tear down. We will see the other person as God sees them. We will treat them as God would treat them. Right? That's what love is. When you value something, you treat it with special care, right? You handle it gently when you value something. Now, we have Tupperware. Everybody here have Tupperware? Or some plastic, you know, plastic, cheap bowls, you know, you, especially with a microwave, you chuck it in there, you put the lid on, you put it in. You know, you've got those kinds of things. You can take that stuff and out and you can throw it, you can, you can uh, throw it on the floor, you can bang it, you can bop it, right? And nothing's going to happen to it. It's cheap if something does happen to it, you just go to Walmart and you buy something else to go along with it, you know? It's, it's just, it comes in, you go to Walmart, 120 pieces in a big box like this for, you know, and then if something happens, you just go buy some more, you know? Then you run out of room. And you, in your shelves to put it, you, uh, you you just treat it any way you want. But you take a special picture, which is valuable. It's not something you play with. You don't throw it on the floor or bang it against the wall. It's very valuable. And you treat it differently than you do the pieces of Tupperware that you don't care about, right? And when you care about someone, you treat them with special honor. The same kind of honor. You see them as valuable. You think, well, I don't know what I saw years ago, but, uh, you know, find it, right? Do what you need to do if there's a problem. Do what you need to do mutually and together, and that's... The big thing that this uh, verse, these verses talked about, that you, that you separate for a little while and not have sexual relationships until you, two of you work this thing out. And then you come back together again. But don't force things. You handle your loved ones with care. Not like Tupperware. Right? Next time you look at Tupperware, you're going to think different, aren't you? You're going to think of something else. One last point. You get a bonus this morning. Four. Marriage is a place where we experience joy and passion. If our marriage relationship 
is to be a reflection of our relationship with God, there needs to be joy and passion because that's the kind of God we worship, right? If God has given us the gift of passion and to love and we're created in the image of God, that means he's a God of passion, that, that transitive property here. Right? Right, Lee? You just put the brackets in different places. Right? He is, you read the Bible, and we've, we've gone through the book of, of, the, of the Song of Solomon. He is our heavenly lover. He loves us with great passion. His passion is full of joy and laughter. God is fun. He shares his humor with us. Just look around. Right? He's full of humor. He made me. He made you. And if your relationship with God is dull, you don't have a relationship with the right God. Because he's exciting. He's full of life. And as our marriage mirrors this relationship with an exciting and passionate God, we begin to experience the intimacy that God has designed to be a part of the marriage relationship. So let's go back to this, this covenant without covenant commitment. Without covenant commitment. This intimacy does not exist. There's a hard line. We're going back to this not being married circumstance. Because without a covenant commitment, in the back of, in the back of my mind would be wondering what's in the back of your mind, the person that I'm living with. Because I might wake up one day and you're gone. And there's no... There's no commitment there to stay. And if you don't want to make that commitment, then whatever you think is more valuable than the commitment you need to make, it's, it's, this intimacy doesn't exist. That intimacy, there's something left out. There's something left out. You see what I'm trying to say? Without forgiveness and grace, this passion doesn't exist. I've got to forgive you, and you, you, and, and I trust that you'll forgive me. And we, we, as we learn this together, as we learn this this year, this year I'm happy to say will be our 35th wedding anniversary, 35 years. You were here when we had our 20th renewal of of wedding vows 15 years ago. Some of you are here. Some of you weren't born yet. I don't think, <clears throat> but. But here, here we are, 35 years, and I'm, I'm proud of that. Without giving honor to the other person, this joy doesn't exist. I've got to give honor to you. And I know that I'll receive that honor, but I don't do it for that reason. When those things are in place, when those things are in place, which is, which is commitment, forgiveness, and honor... We're free to be ourselves. We're free to be everything God created us to be. We experience the wonder of intimate, passion.
compassionate love that is a gift of God. <clears throat> and the Bible tells us, do not conform, conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we ever need to have our minds transformed and renewed, in the, in the area, or it is in the area of our marriage relationship, the marriage in our world today is continuing to fall apart. They give you all of these, these uh, divorce rate percentages, and, uh, but we need, to, we need to say we're not in that percentage. We're in the commitment percentage. And in your heart, in your heart, you will renew your commitment to your partner if in your heart you will renew your commitment to your partner no matter what. If you will practice forgiveness and extend grace. If you will show honor to them, then, and if then, then God will renew your marriage, restore the joy and passion of your relationship. Amen? Let's all stand. That is God's plan for marriage. That is God's plan for marriage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for the, uh, the couples that are here. We're thankful for those that are here this morning as we share your word in this message. We ask, Lord, for your blessing throughout this day. Bring us back again tonight as we continue to worship you. We love you and praise you. We give you the glory for all things in Jesus' name. And everybody said...